welcome back to Trenis Magnus Jabs Reality, a podcasting vacation presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus Boy, and this has got to be the most epic lead-in to any episode that I've ever done, because when you think about it, this is going to be the third in a row episode I've done about the Legion of Superheroes five years later without actually talking about a specific issue of the five years later run of the Legion of Superheroes, right? So, I didn't exactly plan for it to go that way, but damn if that's not how it turned out. So, anyway, uh, one of the things that kind of became sort of apparent to me, uh, at least on, was it Thursday or was it Friday? It was one of the two, but uh, I was up at work and got a text message from uh, Dave Atterbury and honestly this was in the context of really something else that maybe Dave doesn't want me to talk about publicly but he sent me a playlist in reference to something that he probably you know at least for right now wants to probably keep secret um, and the the playlist was basically it had a lot of uh, uh, synthwave music in there now I do think it would be a little bit presumptuous on my part to take credit for that, like I was the sole inspiration. Because, very honestly, it's totally possible that Dave has been listening to Synthwave for a really long time now, possibly even longer than me. And so he only sent me a link to a playlist that he made because of the fact that well, now he knows that I like Synthwave too, so that could be what's going on there. But what I want to believe in my arrogant heart of hearts is that he was introduced to Synthwave by me, but honestly, what are the odds? Anyway, so also while I was at work, and again, this may have been Wednesday or Thursday. I don't know. It was it was some point, right, during this past week. I was up at work, and... I was outside taking a uh, vapor break, as I so often do when I want a vapor break, and I was just uh, puttering around on my phone, and lo and behold, stumbled across an article that was published on uh, Gizmodo, specifically io9, and I'd be the first to admit that you're going to find a lot of clickbaity type stuff or listicle type stuff on on that web page and in the great majority of cases this is a page that's just really not worth bothering with you know I wouldn't say that they're as bad as like bleeding cool or something like that but I don't know in general this is just not my go-to web page for basically anything but it turns out I, I kind of fell bass backwards into this article entitled When the Legion of Superheroes Got Freakin' Weird, written by, uh, I'm not actually completely sure how to pronounce this dude's name, uh, Evan Narcissi, maybe how you're supposed to pronounce it. Uh, guy's name is Evan, his last name is N-A-R-C-I-S-S-E, so... Narcissi, Narciss. Uh, I'm not completely certain how to pronounce that. That's not really the point, though. It's not about the guy's name. It's actually about what he wrote. And what he wrote is, it's basically 
I wouldn't say it's like a lengthy article, but it's, I don't I meant lengthy. Uh, Eye of the Beholder, perhaps. But anyway, the bottom line is he basically wrote at length about uh, the Legion of Superheroes five years later run. And since I've been kind of obsessing over that lately, it seemed like this is something that I would want to read. So, in fact, I read it. And some of this stuff I knew. I knew about right because I've been reading those comics and you know I mean I've read some of them before but by the time but like as I record this now I've reached into an era of five years later that I've never actually read before whereas at the time that I read this article I was mostly reading or really I guess in some way kind of rereading stuff that I'd read in the past but kind of blanked on because there's a weird sort of amnesia that kind of sets in whenever you read a lot of comics you know it's it's well and good for somebody to say that I've read over 2,000 issues of Superman comics well you know dude good for you but how much of that have you really retained you know and so yeah I mean I, I read a little bit of five years later stuff but I haven't really retained a lot of this stuff but I, I don't know Again, neither here nor there. Point is, as I read this article, I was basically coming across some stuff that I knew and I had heard about and was very well familiar with, but also some stuff that, yeah, I didn't, I didn't actually know about this, you know? And so, I don't know, it's, this was kind of an eye-opening article, and I'm not going to read the entire thing to you guys, number one, because that would be boring. Number two, I'm not really sure how legal it is for me to read an entire copyrighted article on on my show. And uh, number three, honestly, it would just take too fucking long. And I guess number four, I don't want to. I don't necessarily need to comment on everything. Mostly, I just want to comment on the stuff that just kind of stood out to me, right? And basically. One of the artic- uh, one section of the article, this is actually an entire paragraph, but basically uh, what this guy says is, uh, part of the appeal of the Legion was how it stood in for the idea that young people from different cultures could make their era better by cooperating. Internal conflicts in Legion of Superheroes stories generally revolved around familiar melodramatic plot points. And, and actually, I'm going to put this on pause and say, what he's talking about here is the pre-five years later stuff, right? That's kind of the context that he's speaking to here. So anyway, back in the article he writes, romantic entanglements, culture clashes, cliques between new and old members, and insecurity over self-worth. For years, the Legion of Superheroes stood as a symbol of a bright, shining future. I'm putting the article back on pause and say, yeah, I tend to agree with that, which is one of the reasons why I like this. I like using Synthwave as the soundtrack for this era of the Legion. I've kind of remarked on this in the past that I recognize that it's not necessarily tonally appropriate for the five years later era, but my way of rationalizing that is that notwithstanding the context in which these stories take place, the the synthwave stuff, it's really supposed to be a reflection of the members of the Legion, you know? Their actual circumstances, I don't want to say that they're incidental, but that's at the same time, that's not really the point either. The point is you know, this kind of bright, shiny, happy, optimistic, uh, happy-go-lucky type of future that everybody was kind of envisioning back in the 80s, more or less is, that's 
the era in which the Legion of Superheroes had traditionally taken place. And so for that reason, you know, it may not necessarily be, you know, the synthwave stuff may not necessarily be appropriate for the tone of the story, but it is tonally appropriate for the Legion, you know, for the characters and what they what they believe in and what they represent and all of that. So, wow, that's kind of not really the point of anything. So anyway, getting back into the article, Guy writes, as the real world changed, the futurism in Legion of Superhero uh, comics became sleeker, even as it stayed brightly lit in sanguine. That's a good word, isn't it? Sanguine? Anyway, political intrigues, brutal battles, and crippling family secrets all challenged the team, but the core optimism never wavered. That all changed in 1989 when a new Legion of Superheroes series began, drawn by longtime Legion creator Keith Giffen, who wrote it with newcomers Tom and Mary Beerbaum. Giffen and the Beerbombs started off the run in elliptical fashion, checking in on various members of the Legion half a decade after the climactic battle of the previous run. The first, uh, the first issue opened up with a single page that said, five years later, followed by snippets of a... Di- Actually, this is getting a little bit didactic here. Uh, basically, Guy go, uh, he goes on to say, the rest of the issue dulls out glimpses of where Dirk Morgna, Reap Daggle, and Rock Crin are in their lives, showing that those glory days that were kind of summarized in the beginning of the issue, those glory days are long gone. As the story hops from planet to planet, we see how those worlds and heroes have stumbled into hard times or ill-fitting roles. And... The article continues by saying, you know, context is crucial for understanding the experimentalism of the five years later Legion. And here he basically just gives some background on some stuff that uh, was going on in the DC universe, you know, goings on with, you know, Burns, Man of Steel, the continuity snafus that that introduced, um, et cetera, et cetera, you know, the pocket universe and all that, all that good stuff. And then he gives the obligatory mention of the Dark Knight Returns and, 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 and Watchmen and all that. The part of this that I really wanted to focus on was... Actually, and actually, I, I say that as I scroll through this on my phone. It's actually... Here it is right now. The Five Years Later series started from the premise that the Legion members were something akin to teen celebrities and that their lives had the same ups and downs. Some of them found fame and fortune. Sunboy mentions a paternity suit in one issue, which is true, by the way, while others wound up in brothels where the entire planet was a red light district. Chameleon Boy is the rich kid who grew up to run his dad's business, and Ultra Boy becomes a shady smuggler who's joined by Kono, a young woman with phasing powers. Various text pieces and, you know, so on and so forth, it just kind of goes, goes forward from there. And I guess what I'm, I, I guess the, uh, the the part of this that, you know, really uh, stood out to me and, you know, jumped out at me was basically commenting on, I guess, the the changes that the, the Legionnaires underwent, you know, and one of the reasons that I find myself kind of drawn to the five years later era of the Legion is really, it's due to the fact that there's a relatability to it in a weird kind of way that I don't, 
I want to be careful how I say this because I don't. I, I mean, I'm I'm not trying to draw like an apples to apples type of comparison here. That uh, the Legionnaires live in this kind of dystopic sort of world, and I can relate to that because we live in a dystop. Although it does feel that way sometimes, but I guess more from the standpoint that you know these characters they all probably had certain ideas and ambitions and agenda uh, agendas for their lives and where they thought things were going um i don't know like when they first started you know the legion when they first joined uh, the legion of superheroes and all that they had certain ideas and assumptions that let's face it it's common to teen uh, to teenagers and i would say even early 20 somethings that they they may be they maybe think they've got a mastery over life that is just not true, you know? And life has a funny way of throwing you a lot of curveballs, especially as you get older, you know? And so right around the time you're in your mid-20s and then getting into your 30s and then in, into your mid-30s and all that, you know, it's I think it's pretty easy to, you know, look back on things and say, you know, holy shit. Things, life, really did not turn out the way that I thought it would back when I was 18, 19, 20 years old, you know? And that's, to say the very least, I think that's probably true of all or at least most of, you know, the Legionnaires, that whatever it was that they thought that the future relative to them, you know, when they when they first joined the Legion, whatever they thought their futures were going to bring, Suffice it to say, probably didn't look very much like what we see in the first issue of the Five Years Later run. And, again, I mean, I'm not trying to be too literalistic about it, but it's just, God knows I can relate to that. I mean, I just, I remember being 18 and just feeling like I'm on top of the world. And not <clears throat> not necessarily looking forward to the future, but at the same time, not really dreading it either. You know, it was just kind of an attitude of, well, I mean, I've done fine with everything that life has thrown my way so far. So when the time comes, I'll do what I have to do in the future, you know, and it'll probably turn out just fine just because that's the way I've always done everything and things have always turned out fine so far. So that means this is always going to work. And what the Legion kind of discovered is that, no, that's not always going to work. You know, that there are instances when life, the world, or whatever is just going to get the better of you, you know? And it just kind of makes me think that this is one of those things that if you're a teenage fan of the Legion of Superheroes, I wouldn't have been surprised, like you're a teenage fan of the Legion of Superheroes in 1989 when this when this comic came out. I wouldn't be surprised to find out that, you know what, <clears throat> this five years later stuff kind of left the teenage Legion of Superheroes fans, just kind of left them behind a little bit, you know, because this is something that spoke to ideas and experiences and in a certain kind of way, it spoke to philosophies that are just so far outside of your average teenager's wheelhouse or would have been outside of your average teenager's wheelhouse circa 1989, that I can see where they would read this book and say, what the fuck am I, what, what is the, what is the, what am I even looking at? What is this? You know? And 
you know, rereading this stuff as an adult, you know, I mean, again, I don't want to make it sound like, you know, life has been horrible to me or, or anything. Cause it, you know, it hasn't, but it's, it's like at the same time, it's like the, the relatable element of this, at least for me is, I guess this realization that, you know, shit, life really didn't turn out the way that I thought it was going to, you know, and that there were, there were some victories, don't get me wrong, but man, there were some really fucking unexpected setbacks, you know, just these things that happened that were totally outside of my control, totally not my fault, but nevertheless, just ate my sack lunch anyway, and I'm the one that has to deal with it now, you know, and I want to think that that's, that has got to be uh, a condition that is common to a lot of people that no matter how, how great or how bad or whatever your life turned out, it probably didn't turn out the way that you thought it would back when you were 18 or 19 years old. And, and I guess that's the point. And so we all find our own sort of vantage point on the material. What personal baggage am I bringing to this thing as I read this comic that's affecting my opinion of it for good or for ill, as it may be? And I guess just putting that into some kind of context for all of our lives. And maybe a good example of what I'm talking about is it's actually the... Uh, the uh, issue that I was reading earlier today. I even put up a post about this on uh, the Trinus Magnus Punches Reality Facebook group. Uh, but basically, this is uh, this was uh, Legion of Superheroes um, number number uh, twenty eight. And if it sounds like I'm vamping for time here, it's because I am kind of vamping for time here while my fucking iPad loads this uh, comic back up. And uh, yeah, here it is. All right, so this is uh, the Legion of Superheroes number twenty eight. Cover date is April of 1992. The story is titled The Sizzling Story of Sunboy. And basically the, the shtick of this thing is that it it basically it gives Dirk's side of the story in terms of, you know, the, the uh, decisions and whatnot that he made, uh, you know, being a liaison for uh, from EarthGov and all of that, you know, basically why was it that he did what he did? What was it that happened not necessarily with the entire team of Legion of Superheroes, but specifically during his tenure as leader, the things that happened and all of that. And, you know, it it does need to be said that, you know, Dirt didn't exactly have a lot of strong and positive role models whenever he was a kid. I mean, his own father... Well, I mean, I guess there are worse behaviors that his father could have modeled for for young Dirk, but offhand, I mean, I, I can't really think of very many. I mean, the guy was clearly a... He wasn't even just like a womanizer. He was like the pervy kind of womanizer. I mean, bad enough that you're doing it at all, but to be just such a fucking pervert about it, you know? And that was... You know, those were the behaviors that he, that he modeled for his son. And so as a result, you know, Dirk grows up with kind of a a warped, skewed, and very uh, incomplete understanding of how he needs to relate to the world, to his fellow man, and also, and one might say especially, to women, you know? 
<clears throat> and you know uh, his his very few and limited successes, his many and varied failures, and how all of those things basically tallied up to Dirk Morgna basically making some very bad uh, uh, decisions and, I don't know, just offering very poor guidance to the the other members of the Legion of Superheroes during that time when he was the leader of the team. Now, you can kind of defend some of that with the knowledge that EarthGov was persecuting the Legion because the because EarthGov was slowly but surely being secretly taken over by the Dominators. And so, you know, the Dominators, they're not stupid. They, they very well understand the threat that the Legion of Superheroes poses to their I don't, conquest of Earth. And so rather than attack the Legion of Superheroes directly... The Dominators understood that they had to basically legally persecute the Legion out of existence. And so a lot of the, the problems and crises that unfolded during uh, Dirk's leadership of the, uh, of the team, hand on heart, legitimately, are not his fault. You know, But the way that he handled those things just kind of go to the... The simple, plain, and kind of undeniable truth that Dirk Morgna really should not have ever been elected leader of the team. You know, it's one thing to face shitty circumstances. It's quite another to face shitty circumstances with a shitty leader, giving everybody their marching orders. You know, and I guess the long and the short of it is Dirk made a lot of really bad leadership decisions that basically had a chilling effect on the Legion's membership such that members just slowly but surely started quitting. And as if all that wasn't bad enough, the Legion in general, you know, just their name and their reputation among the public, but Dirk in particular, it really took a beating. And, you know, all of these, um, all the baggage that uh, Dirk was bringing to the table, a a, a childhood of being bullied, uh, a really shitty uh, relationship with his father and just, you know, just poor moral guidance, you know, from his father, seemingly no real relationship to speak of with his mother. All of these things basically conspired to make Dirk arguably the shittiest me- uh, leader that the Legion ever had. And as the first issue kind of reveals, not their final leader, but probably one of the very last and definitely probably the shittiest, you know? And here again, I mean, there's just, there's something about that that's just, I don't like, just relatable, you know? I mean, it's just, it is so true to life that sometimes you find yourself, yeah, I hate to say it, but, you know, you find yourself working for somebody who maybe isn't an absolute just fucking nutcase, but someone that really should never have this kind of power and authority over other people, you know, it suits them badly, very badly, you know? And so it's one of those things that, you know, 
I relate to it that just kind of tie it back to what I was saying earlier. I relate to that because guys, I've worked for bad bosses. I know from working for bad bosses, you know, uh, I haven't really talked too much about it, you know, not at any kind of great length that I can remember, at least not on mic, but you know, there was a point when I worked for, and this, I say it was a point guys, this went on for like eight years or something like that, but I worked with, or worked with, worked for a guy who was, I don't even know how else to put it. Guy's just a, just a freaking maniac. You know, I mean, this guy's a nutball. You know, I, I, you know, what is his problem? I don't know, but whatever it is, he's going to need, I think, you know, several years of very deep and intensive therapy to deal with whatever fucking problems he has. And number one, he has problems. And number two, they go deep. And so to kind of relate this to the comic book, you know, this idea of working for a shitty boss and then kind of putting that in the context of Dirk Morgna's kind of shitty leadership of the Legion, it just speaks to the fact that we all bring our own personal baggage to these comic books that we read, you know? So, I mean, I've never been a member of a superhero team, obviously. Have not, would not, will not, you know? But we can all, or at least I, can relate to working for a shitty boss, and so that's kind of my entree into the sizzling story of Sunboy, you know? And I think just to kind of tie it back to my kind of broader point here, I think that's that really goes to a lot of my affection for the Five Years Later Legion that, you know, sometimes life goes exactly the way that you want it to. Things are breaking your way. You're getting all the, uh, all the lucky breaks and, you know, things are really going, going in a positive direction. But guys, sometimes life fucking sucks. You know, there's, there's really no sugarcoating that. And things don't happen the way that you want them to. Uh, sometimes circumstances actively work against you. And sometimes that even happens, not only when it's not your fault, but in, but in spite of your sincerest best effort, you know? And that is most assuredly what happened with the Legion of Superheroes before we get to page one of the first issue of the Five Years Later run. And then there's the other thing. And this, you know, guys, you've, if you've listened to, to my episodes about uh, the, that I did with uh, Chris Honeywell, you know, the big book report, and I would say somewhat the episodes, uh, the weird stuff episodes that Honeywell and I did together, you guys know that I, I kind of read uh, a lot of conspiracy theories stuff kind of from the standpoint of like a live action comic book, you know, it's kind of like a LARPy comic book. And a lot of this stuff I, I find, I don't know, entertaining or tawdry, or I don't even know, but, uh, you know, it's just for, for whatever reason, I just kind of get a kick out of reading conspiracy, uh, theories, you know, and one of the, one of the main elements of uh, Keith Giffen's five years later stuff with uh, the Legion is this idea that EarthGov has basically been subverted and completely owned by uh, the Dominators, right? They basically have secretly taken hold of the government and they basically brought EarthGov to its knees. But to all outward appearances, everything seems normal, you know, at least as far as government operations are concerned. But the economy is fucking tanked, 
and you know society is just going in a really fucking horrible uh direction and there's just this i don't know this decadence that's just kind of uh, seeped into uh the legion of superheroes uh world and what you know as the series kind of goes on what you eventually understand is it's not just EarthGov. It's somewhat the entirety of the United Planets, but primarily the the Dominators have gotten their hooks into EarthGov. And so from that, they've basically brought a lot of the entire fucking galaxy to its knees, and most people don't know that. Now, some people do, and the thing about it is, I mean, it's treated at first as kind of like this bizarre and kind of paranoid conspiracy theory that a couple of uh, lunatics in, in the galaxy are, are, are kind of angsting over, but there's no there there, you know. But then more and more and more and more evidence starts mounting that, you know what, no, that's exactly what happened. The Dominators actually are secretly in control of everything. And it's it's it, it's like that. It's like a conspiracy theory that somehow gets proven to be true is how I kind of look at it. Because, again, we bring our own baggage into these comics that we read. And so I guess my way of interpreting that, you know, familiar as I am with various and sundry uh, conspiracy theories, that you know, well, the Bilderberg group, they're secretly in control of everything. Or the Illuminati is secretly plotting to take over America, you know, stuff like that or other groups which it probably won't benefit me anything to name, uh, basically these other groups that are supposedly secretly working uh, to take over not just, you know, my country, which is America, but perhaps the entire world. And, you know, when you think about it, if, if, if what you're going for is, is the brass ring, you know, you want total power, well, I mean, you can call this uh, cultural arrogance all you want, but if you're trying to take over the world and you don't in some way or another account for America, motherfucker, you're not doing your job, all right? And so it makes sense that America has kind of a, a, a place of prominence in a lot of these conspiracy theories that this group or that group is trying to take over the world because if you're going to take over the world, you pretty much have to take over America. And if what the dominators are trying to do is ultimately take over the entire galaxy they pretty much have to take over the united planets and if they're going to take over the united planets they really have to take over earth then from there they can make alliances with other agencies or other institutions outside of the united planets and in a similar way maybe bring them to heal as well while at the same time consolidating their control over earth while expanding their influence to other united planet member worlds and basically putting them on the leash as well and so i guess my way of of contextualizing this this stuff with the dominators is to just kind of put it in in the frame of the conspiracy theory that only a couple of uh, a couple of people are really aware of and have really followed and studied that whoops turns out it's actually fucking true you know and i don't know i mean I, so I guess what I'm saying is, my, my point in saying all of this stuff is that, you know, there really is a lot of the Legion of Superheroes five years later run that fits inside my wheelhouse, both in terms of just, you know, some of my own interests 
you know, here again, like just reading these uh, conspiracy theories, these kind of live action comic book kind of uh, conspiracy theories. And then also just, you know, the life experiences I, you know, that I've had, you know, the victories and the setbacks, you know, a lot of that stuff just kind of feeds into, you know, number one, an affection for the Legion of Superheroes that I've always had. But number two, putting it all in, I, I, I guess, into this venue of um, just these different issues that that I have a personal investment in or have personally affected my life in some way or another. And I think that is the real core of the appeal of five years later and what it has for me, you know? So anyway, so, and all of this basically like, you know, as I say, it was kind of touched off by this, uh, this IO9 article that I read that some of this stuff, like I say, I knew about others, you know, other things I really didn't, but I get the idea that the writer of this article, he's sort of coming at this five years later thing. He's sort of coming at this from sort of the the same standpoint that I am. That the the Legionnaires they started off as young, bright, idealistic teenagers, and then just over time, this team just got beaten the hell down by uh, life, by their own government somewhat perhaps by each other god knows by the dominators and all that and one part though uh, uh, of this column that i really liked was uh, this part here that says perhaps the biggest change was in aesthetics giffen had drawn the legion for many years before this volume to the point where some considered him the definitive artist for the team but five years later did away with their superhero looks in favor of more fashion-centric design Giffen's draftsmanship was looser and moodier, creating a mercurial energy that jumped across nine-panel grid pages in squirrely fashion. Eventually, Legion of Superheroes returned to a more familiar form, teenagers in brightly colored superhero outfits fighting interstellar threats. Another line-wide continuity reboot, essentially blah 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 blah, it just sort of goes on from there, and basically just tries to put a put a bow around the publication history of the Legion as it kind of proceeded from that point. But I, I will say that as I've read the uh, five years later era of the Legion, and I've been buying these uh, comics on the uh, DC Comics app, the issues that I like the most and have gotten just gotten into the most are the ones that were plotted by the beer bombs, written by Keith Giffen, and then drawn by Keith Giffen. And when that balance, I, I guess that particular division of labor, the more that kind of shifted around and mutated and changed, honestly, it's not that I lost my investment in the title because I really haven't, but it's just there's that tiny little bit less enjoyment that I'm getting out of it. And I realized that in the late 80s and God knows, getting into the early 90s, Keith Giffen his time was at a very high premium. He was juggling a bunch of different books, he had a bunch of different assignments that were going on, and he couldn't necessarily devote the totality of his attention to the Legion of Superheroes as much as I would have liked. And so I understand the workload that he was that that he was kind of challenged with, but it's like at the same time, we all have our preferences. We all like what we like, and I liked this book a lot better when it was plotted by the beer bombs, written by Keith Giffen, drawn by Keith Giffen. And I'm sympathetic to the fact that 
he was kind of working under a bunch of different deadlines and his his attention was being divided any number of different ways etc etc i still prefer just in terms of what i really enjoy and and just savor about this run of the legion i would say that i really get into i don't don't even know what like the first nine or ten or eleven or twelve issues where this really was a keith giffen joint and as he kind of backed away from the art more and more and more as things go by i don't know it's just i kind of get less into the book and as I kind of joked about on the Trinus Magnus Punches Reality Facebook group, this issue that I was talking about just now, the one that I read tonight, the sizzling story of uh, Sunboy from uh, Legion of Superheroes number 28, the art in this in this issue, I realize it's intentionally stylized and this isn't happening by accident. That doesn't change the fact that I really don't like the art and I, I remain curious to know what uh, Giffen would have done with the art in this issue if he'd had a chance to draw it but we'll never know so anyway so i I've, this has actually gone on a lot longer than i originally planned i was hoping to keep this little helping of trinus magnus jabs reality under uh, 20 minutes but i'm actually getting a lot closer to 40 minutes so i'm gonna go ahead and shut it down right now but um i just wanted to throw all this out there and just see what comes back to me because it seems like there's been a shocking at least to me a shocking amount of attention and interest in these Legion episodes that I've been doing. So, um, guys, if you've got something to say, I'm actually very interested to, to hear it. So send me an email. Let me know what you think. You can reach me at trentusmagnus at gmail.com. T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. Trentusmagnus at gmail.com. Uh, just send me an email. Let me know. Where are you coming from with the Legion? Or what are your thoughts on five years later? You know, I actually kind of want to hear from you guys about it. In part because I I sincerely am interested to know. But also, it's... Guys, I would never presume to call myself like a big Legion of Superheroes expert. So if you're listening to this, there's a very good chance that you know a hell of a lot more about the Legion than I do. So who knows? You know, maybe you can send me to school here a little bit. But uh, anyway... So that's my email address, trentusmagnus at gmail.com, T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S, trentusmagnus at gmail.com. Just send me an email and let me know what you think. But I think for right now, that's pretty much it. So bye, everybody. I will see you next time. So I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks podcast network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at Trennis Magnus 
at gmail.com. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promos section. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demanzacor of Milan, Italy.